listening to Contesting Wrestling Premium, the show where, well, at the moment, the show where Ben and I are doing whatever we want over the turn of the year for a little while. Yes. <laughs> and it feels pretty good. Yeah. And this is sort of yeah. the second in a, a mini series of events that we attended together. Um, yeah. It's all very self-indulgent. Absolutely. If you want, I could tell you about all the times I saw mindless self-indulgence, <laughs> but that's a different podcast. I was there for some of those, too. Oh, yes, a good there number. There was the one time we saw them three nights in a row at Webster Hall. Oh, yeah. I, w- I, would, I would do it again, <laughs> but oh, my back. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd go to any fucking concert right now. <laughs> oh, for sure. If somebody had tickets to see anything, I'd stand in front of a guy playing a guitar. Yeah. Just come on, man. Come on. So, yeah, uh, hopefully this will provide a little bit of a distraction for you guys from uh, the the national um, social unrest. <laughs> and all yeah, that. we're taping this on Sunday, January 10th. I hope to have it out by this coming Thursday. And who knows where we'll be by Thursday. Good luck, everyone, yeah, including future me. But in a simpler time... Almost exactly 14 years ago, Doc and I attended Jersey All-Pro Wrestling Seasons Beatings 2007. On IWTV, it says part one, but I don't think there were other parts. I don't remember there being a part two, no. But, <laughs> I don't know. In any- they're doing... They're doing JAPW dumps on IWTV, and they've only really done the first one and added a couple of extra shows. They've got more. They'll be coming as time goes on. Dumps is somewhat the appropriate word. (laughs) I I see. Yeah, I mean, there there is some really good wrestling quality in some of these JAP shows, but it's definitely a mixed bag. Oh, yeah. They were a local indie. They were a they are actually, you know, they, they, they still do the occasional big show. Uh, they are a, a large local indie, but they're a local indie with like the guys that trained in the area primarily. And then they would bring in a few other regulars. Yeah. So they were sort of like a middle ground between the like super low rent indies like USA Pro Wrestling, where we whose indie shows were the first ones we attended and ring of honor, which was a little bit more of a professional production. Uh, it had sort of national recognition. JAP was in the middle, which was cool because a lot of the wrestlers who we came to really like from ring of honor would also wrestle at the JAP shows. And there we could interact with them a lot more. They'd be walking around the floor. They'd have their own merchandise booths, Things like that. So it was a more accessible version of the prestige indies, as you've called it. Yeah, I, I had such a good time going to JAPW shows. I even went to at least one of them myself because nobody was going. And I was like, well, I have such a good time going to JAP shows. I'll just go for the tourism of it all. And uh, and I totally did, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because like you said, everybody was closer. But we when we start... Yeah, uh, Last time when we talked about the Ring of Honor show, you know, you had mentioned that like you and me had been chilling for like like regularly for like a year or two. And my first instinct was to think oh, it was much longer than that. And then I thought I'm like, no, it wasn't. You know, this all like looking back, seeing how short of a time frame indie wrestling took over my life. <laughs> <laughs> And, and completely changed my mindset on wrestling in general, which led me to entering the business. Uh, it really is kind of staggering. Like, we went to our first indie show in 
uh, September of 2004. We went to our first Ring of Honor show in December of 2004. This is a year and a few months after that. Uh, a and couple years. At, this is 2007 now. Yeah, I was I was completely miscounted. Yeah, well, still, <laughs> this was like two years yeah, after yeah. that. And by then, I completely thought I was a total expert on indie wrestling and that I had seen everybody wrestle that I was ever going to want to see wrestle. You entered the business and, very yeah. shortly after this, right? I think 2007 Yeah, yeah, was that year. year. Right? Yeah. That was the year, yeah. I, I had already, like, made up my mind pretty much. Like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, and then I did it, and here I am. Indeed. Hi. So um, we used to. So what we would do is we would get the New Jersey Transit out to Rahway, New Jersey, and there was one show much later than this, much more recently that I drove to, and that was actually we maybe we'll talk about it another time. That was my one really negative JAPW experience. Was the last one I went to. But this one, I'm. Pr- oh, was that the the Fat Frank tribute show? The Fat show? Frank tribute show. That is on IWTV, I believe. Well, it's worth checking out yeah. Loki versus uh, Rey Mysterio, oh, and sure. you know what? You won't have to sit through four hours of show before that, an <laughs> hour and a half of which is Fat Frank tribute footage, which is mostly him. <sighs> gorging on incredibly fatty meat and barbecue, which is probably what led to his death. Well, he he did have a massive heart attack eventually. It didn't help that Um, my girlfriend at the time was a strict vegetarian (laughs) and uh, really didn't like watching all this shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I was a vegetarian for 30 years. I never had a problem watching somebody yeah. eat meat. That's just pretentious. You know what? Never mind. <laughs> Jersey All Pro Wrestling was was a, a lot of oh, fun in the mid-2000s. They had a real chick. <laughs> I'm trying to take a hard Yeah, well, what here. I was going to get to is this particular show. Yeah, yeah, what show, were you going to get to? This particular show. Um, so it was always a problem for us that the shows would go really late, and we would be worried that we would miss the last train going back to New York. Yeah, like one in the goddamn morning. And I'm pretty sure this was the show where we did, in fact, miss the train. And it was absolutely freezing out. And we had to wait for hours for my saintly mother (laughs) to drive all the way from New York City to pick us up. You remember the... Uh, Are you sure? Hold on, hold on. I don't think that tracks. I think we left early to catch the last train and we caught the last train because if we were stranded, there would have been a lot more people there. I think that was a different night. I think that was the night that we took the bus from Rahway to Philadelphia to see the show at the ECW arena that the bus then let back out at the Rahway rec center hours after the ECW arena show let out. You know what? You're totally right. And that actually makes more sense because I'm yeah. pretty sure there was someone else with us. It might have been Brian. It might have been Spoon. It was Brian. Brian. It was definitely and Brian. this show. Uh, I'm pretty sure yeah. it was just the two of us. The season. I think period. it was just the as two you of can us as see well, yes. in one part of the show, which we'll talk about later. We were roaming around. Yeah. We like to walk and look at everything from yeah, every yeah. angle. We're always such spectators, you know. It's like if we're going to spectate something, we're really going to take it in. Definitely, yeah. We we're just going to sit in the bleachers the whole time. Though the bleachers were fairly. It was really a comfortable venue to watch wrestling in compared to a lot of places where indies were held. Um. All right. Okay. So yeah, that that clears that up for me. Um, but getting to the actual show. Um, so I guess that we should start with the fucking announcers. 
Oh my god, you know, I was barely aware of this because I, I saw very little JAPW not live. Right. You know, I would go to the, their shows at the Railway Rec Center every couple of months for a while because they held them pretty frequently. It was their home venue. But I didn't buy like a lot of their DVDs or anything. I had no reason we to. We would watch the, their, the re- their weekly TV show worldwide or YouTube show, right. whatever. whatever. Wherever on Pre- the internet YouTube. it was, it was, on, yeah. it was on their website. Gotcha. They had a web show before web shows were really a thing, but they didn't feature these announcers much. No, not from what I remember. So some of the announcers were wrestlers. Arcadia, who was like a perennial light heavyweight champion for them, was there. Yeah, Chino Martinez, who I don't really remember, and uh, at some point, Monster Mac comes on. And the main announcer is, um, what the fuck is his name? Mark. Uh, I have it here somewhere. Is he? <laughs> Mark Clemson. Mark Clemson. <laughs> Mark Clemson. Poor Mark Clemson. We'll, we'll talk about him later. Yeah. He, I, I don't think he was the worst of them. I think it was mostly the wrestlers who were so bad. Um, I, I couldn't keep track of who was who. It's like the, the announcing was atrocious pretty much the entire time. And it wasn't the kind of atrocious where like clearly they let untrained announcers on. It's like it was atrocious with intent. Yeah, they were bad people <laughs> saying bad things. <laughs> yeah, and then they didn't they didn't put over the shows much. You know, the the biggest thing you could have done to have worth in these guys' eyes was to wrestle dark matches for the WWE. Right. And like fine but that's not how you promote your show. No. And uh, the, they were at their very worst uh, during the women's match. But we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. We will definitely. Get First, to we have um, one of the JPW originals, Monster Mac, uh, teaming up with Deranged against. They, they pronounce his name Javier, but it's written Hav dash air. It's it's Javi dash air. Oh, OK. Yeah, Javi Javier and Rob yeah. Vegas. Yeah. Rob now, Monster Vegas. Mac and Deranged, we already knew from Ring of Honor. Uh, Deranged was part of Special K. Uh, Monster Mac was in the Hit Squad. And, you know, JAP, when Ring of Honor first started and they sort of collected all this talent from the various indies, JAP was one of the feeders to Ring of Honor. And that's where we got uh, Homicide and Loki. Um, and and, yeah. and the Hit Squad and Teddy Hart. And this is one of the rare JPW shows that did not have Homicide or Loki on it. Right. Maybe they were booked somewhere else. I think they were both in TNA at the time. Ah, okay. Well, the TNA guys would still do indie bookings, but they may have been booked for TNA. Right. I remember the. I remember seeing Monty Brown at JPW once. You, you remember when uh, <laughs> Homicide was fighting for the JPW title or something, and they're all brawling all over the floor like they always did? And I got up in his face and was like, "Why the hell do you care about this title? You're TNA Tag Team Champion." And he looked at me <laughs> like he was going to murder me. <laughs> and I believed it. Oh, that's great. Homicide's great. Yeah, I yeah. love Homicide. It took me a while to get around to liking Homicide. But it, it, me great. too. Well, when we first started watching like indie wrestling, we were really impressed by all the moves. But that wears off after a little while, and the moves are great, but Homicide's a real character and like a full worker. You know, he can have a great match with totally. anybody doing nothing. Yeah, he's got like that very like um, southern territories kind of style. Yeah, and he can, he can also wrestle technically and everything. Oh yeah, 
Nice. Uh, real indie legend. Um, but anyway, he he wasn't at this show. We get Monster Mac and Deranged. So, I, I like Monster Mac and Deranged. Yeah, so but... uh, speaking of JPW Worldwide, they mention that um, Mac and Deranged had been at odds at various points. And um, Monster Mac had frequently walled Deranged. And what they meant by that was the JPW Worldwide, the place where they would shoot it, one side of the ring was against a brick wall. And oh, was it against the brick wall or there was just a wall? It there? was outside of the ring. There was a there wall was a wall that Mac would take people to and press him, press them over his head and just chuck them at the wall. And the crowd would chant wall, wall, wall. I, I they did that. I think the last uh, USA Pro show we went to, like the UXW, as it was called by then, there was a wall and people started calling for Mac to do it. So he did it. But that wall was just drywall and it left a big <laughs> hole in the Amazura. Uh, it wasn't like the wall you could throw people at. Uh... Now, that being said, it was a terrible move. It was great to watch. It was like I had never seen anything like that before. Like the only time you ever see that. The only time you ever saw that was when Kevin Nash threw Rey Mysterio at the trailer side of the mm-hmm. NW, the famous NWO backstage beatdown. There's a reason for that. Can't protect yourself against a wall, especially face no. first if you're really horizontal. So this match starts, and I knew that Deranged and Monster Mac were the faces because they're the popular JPW guys. But you couldn't really tell from how the match starts. Like, Deranged just slaps Javier in the face immediately. And, like, they're just all so goonish and, like, shitty. <laughs> and But that's what the crowd wanted, you know? Yeah. It's it's very hard to describe, like, the, the, the culture where being, like, a real asshole meant you were the babyface. <laughs> but not only was it widespread throughout the culture, but it was really concentrated in New Jersey. <laughs> well, yeah. And and this really serviced that the whole show really serviced it. That. It it truly is Jersey All Pro Wrestling. Like, every, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know how people who grew up outside of New York feel about New Jersey, <laughs> but if you're listening and you know uh, the the stereotypes that New Yorkers have about New Jersey, JPW embodied them all. Yes, it did. Um, Javier is a student of the SAT. That's uh, pretty much all he had to his credit. Um, you mean the team that was supposed to wrestle later in the card, but apparently couldn't make it? Uh, That's what the announcer said. That SAT, <laughs> right. They, were, they, they didn't make yeah. it. I love... I'm sure they didn't do Javier any favors. The only thing I have to say about um, Rob Vegas is a great chant from the crowd, a very, like, New York metropolitan area chant. They're like, dun, 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 dun. Vegas sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's a very local. It's sort of like, but everybody uh, knew it. Everybody did it. And, uh, and Vegas sold it. It's our version of like some of the soccer chants that you'll hear at British shows. Yeah. You go to the bleachers at Yankee Stadium, which I've only done once. You get a really good education on that kind of thing. It's all in good fun. Everybody does it. And then they all laugh, you know. But hey, man. Deranged is fucking good. I always liked Deranged. Yeah, I was always a big fan. He does a great top rope Frankensteiner uh, at one point. There's a great uh, spot in the match where Javier Javier is running towards the ropes to do a suicide dive, and Deranged is behind him, but catches up to him and hits him with a 619 before he can get out of the ring. Very cool. Yeah. Real creative, like. 
Um, but in the end, um, Deranged hits a springboard double stomp and Monster Mac hits a big top rope splash because he's a big fucking guy. And he could get around. Yeah, and uh, Mac and Deranged are victorious in this opening match. It was fun. It, you know, it wasn't a bad match at all. It was what I had come to see. You know, stuff like that. Then um, another bad person, or an especially bad person, Slick <laughs> Wagner Brown appears and jumps Monster Mac and beats him down. Right. Slick Wagner Brown gives him uh, his finish. And that's all. all we'll say about Slick Wagner Brown. Um, Greg the Hammer Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man were there. They they show them for a second. They were there signing. They were autographs. at a, they were at all the shows in the area, just signing <laughs> autographs at that point. Yeah. Hey, former WWF tag team champions, Rhythm and Blues. Hell yeah. Know? Neither of them bothered to dress up or anything, but uh, you know they look like that. Honky anyway. had that hair. He always had that hair. He always has the hair. That's right. And Hammer was there. So too. then we get one of the great stars of JAP, one of the people who we always came to see. Um, just to see what the fuck he would say and do, <laughs> Mister Teddy Hart. Oh my God, Teddy Hart! He appears already ranting. Like as soon as he's yes. on camera, <laughs> he's talking shit about something. He's 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 another bad person, but right. man, yes. you know we were we were really like okay. So one of the reasons we started going to JPW is we heard they had Teddy Hart. And the thing about Teddy Hart was like we were big Bret Hart fans. We wanted to see the next Hart. And we had heard of Teddy Hart, but he wasn't wrestling anywhere. And he had beef with Ring of Honor for a variety of reasons. <laughs> and uh, nobody would book him. We heard he had gotten signed to the WWE and then they fired him uh, in developmental because you can't work with him. But he worked. He worked in Jersey for Jersey All Pro because if everybody is kind of like that, he fits in. And you're right. He came out already ranting and he grabs the mic and he runs down everybody and he says a bunch of awful stuff. And I he was gets in the ring everywhere. and immediately moonsaults because he had to. He is a yeah, compulsive moonsalter. Now, you know, maybe I will say a little more like Slick Wagner Brown had some talent to him. He's an, you know, oh, sure. an abusive asshole. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. His, his, his then uh, partner, April Hunter. Um, te- but the thing about Teddy Hart is as much of a fucking bad person as he is, he's just oozing talent. It's insane. Yeah. Like and, and r- ridiculous amount of he charisma. should be one of the biggest star wrestling stars in the world. If he wasn't such a fucking yeah. asshole, he would be. And he knows that. He totally knows that. There's a Twitter account just called, Is Teddy Hart in Jail? And it updates every day. No. Or yes. Sometimes yes. He he seems to claim during that rant that Ring of Honor wanted to sell him the company. Right. Well, I think this was around the time that there was a little bit of turmoil in the Ring of Honor offices, right? Mm, Not quite. Not quite yet. No, 2007, they were were going pretty strong. They were. You're right. I don't know. Who knows? Who who knows what Teddy Hart thinks is real? Well, anyway, eventually Chris Hero comes and throws a chair in the ring. And I remember this is the show where I came around to liking Chris Hero. Because I think we both really didn't like Chris Hero. We saw him that first time when we were standing out in the cold to see Ring of Honor do something for the, uh, the CW or yeah. whatever it was. We were like the only ones that showed up to that. Yeah. 
And that was when Hero suddenly appeared in Ring of Honor yeah. for the first time. And they did that whole Ring of Honor CZW war. And that had just ended. Um, That's great. Yeah, so Hero's here. And so is Necro Butcher. And they fight with Teddy Hart. And then Jack Evans appears. And there's a big pull-apart brawl. Um, and at one point in the pull-apart brawl, Teddy Hart goes up to the top rope and moonsaults, you'd think, onto the pile of people fighting in the ring. But no, he he moonsaults directly onto the empty space, the one empty space in the ring, in the middle of all the fighting that's going on. Incredible. Yeah. That's <laughs> Teddy Hart for you. For sure. He was the JPW champion. He didn't have a belt with him. They, he doesn't get the belt until the ring announcements for the main event where he's defending against Necro Butcher. I wonder what the deal with during that was. the ring announcement. You see them bring him the belt. Huh? Maybe someone had forgot to bring it to the arena and they just finally got thing. it there by then. They were like, where's the belt? And like, Teddy, we thought we gave it to you. And Teddy's like, I don't carry your belt with me. I live in Hawaii. I'm not just going to take your belt everywhere. That yeah. always disappointed me when I found out that the champion oh, yeah. doesn't just carry the belt everywhere. Well, some of them do. You know, it, it depends on the champion and the league and the belt. Yeah. Like, yeah, some of them do. That was funny when Jericho's belt got stolen. The AEW belt. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> oh, and the fucking IWTV belt got stolen, too. Yep. Yep, yep. They, they got it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to the aforementioned women's match. Daisy Hayes and Melissa Stripes against Alicia and Cha-Cha. And Al- Cha-Cha. Alicia was like the well, uh, female star of Jersey All-Pro Wrestling. She was the perennial women's champion there, I think, if they even had yeah, a yeah. title. Um, and, and she's there with Johnny D., and his stable, the D Factor. <laughs> I wonder what Johnny D actually did. I don't know. A lot of indies have a guy like Johnny D, where he's like a manager on the show, maybe cuts a promo, but really he's just one of the guys who helps run everything who wanted to be on the show, so they let him be a manager, right. you know? It was, it was okay. He was He was okay. I think it was either him or one of the other guys who was in charge after Fat Frank died. And did a terrible job at putting on that show. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, But this match, it was really hard to pay attention to the match because the announcers were being so completely disgusting the entire time. Yeah, just just openly misogynistic. And, like, not even, like, in an attempt to be entertaining. Not like Jerry Lawler turning into, like, the cartoon wolf that's whistling or something. No, no, they were just like, well, we don't care about the match. Can I see your ass? Alicia got a boob job. Ha ha boob job. And with the exception job. with the exception of Alicia to like a very small extent, none of them were presenting themselves sexually at all. No. No, they were trying to have a wrestling yeah. match. Daisy Hayes, you know, her thing is she fucking smokes weed. There's a lot you could say yeah. about that. No, what they said was, and I quote, that Daisy Hayes, she's hot. Yeah. So the match ends with Alicia holding Ref Hansen in her bosom so that he doesn't see uh, Johnny D throwing a fireball at Melissa. (laughs) Yeah, he does a well-placed, by the way, wrestling fireball. Very well-done fireball. Was that really needed in this match? 
He wanted to throw a <laughs> And Alicia gets the pin. I'm sure they weren't paying him much, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was very unexpected, <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah. fireballs in wrestling should be unexpected, but this yes. seems unexpected and not entirely uh, appropriate. <laughs> I mean, it was effective, but yeah, no, you're right. And it was weirdly placed. And like, I don't get it. But it got me when I saw it. I didn't remember that happening. No. I'm just like, oh, d- the manager's going to, oh, I hope he doesn't hit her. Fireball. Oh, oh, that was a well-done fireball spot. Because a, a badly done fireball spot in wrestling is the worst bullshit right. you've ever seen. I, I reference you to the second Hogan, Hogan Warrior, Warrior yeah, match. Which we have covered, which we covered on, this on this show. <laughs> yes. um, I, I, uh, speaking of things we remember, I actually only remembered two things from this show. Two of the matches. We'll get to them eventually. There's one thing in particular that I remember very vividly, and I'm glad that it was captured on tape. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. All right. But before all that, we get Ruckus there with Eddie Kingston in his corner, who I guess was injured, and that's why he wasn't wrestling. Yeah, I suppose. Ruckus and Kingston of Blackout, the uh, CZW stable that was a big part of the ROH CZW war. Uh, And Kingston in his promo at the beginning before the match uh, references Ring of Honor burying them um, after the after the war. Well, he uh, he knew what audience he was in front of. Yeah, that's what I'll say mostly. You know, he knew, he uh, he knew what audience he was in front of. He knew how to rile them up. He knew uh, he knew they wanted to hear somebody talking shit on Ring of Honor, so he did. Yep. So Ruckus is facing the New Age Punisher B Boy. This match was not on the match list. On IWTV. Yeah, Instead, no. there was uh, Danny DeMonto uh, against Nikki Benz, which I don't know if that happened and just didn't end up on the DVD or. I'm I'm fine with I'm fine with not. <laughs> totally fine. As much as I like Danny DeMonto. Well, D- Danny DeMonto is a promoter these days. He's he's stuck around wrestling. He's done. He's done his share of. Uh, of stuff. His matches were not barn burners, especially at this point. Oh fat, oh fat, yeah. oh fat, oh fat. Oh fat, oh fat. Hey, he he we watched him get murdered by New Jack once. Yeah, and he brought out yeah. a box of cannolis during his entrance once and we ate cannolis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he he was an entertainer. He's still an entertainer, you know? He was there at this show. You see him during the pull apart brawl earlier. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we get um, B-Boy against Ruckus, and B-Boy represents the strong-style thugs, along with Homicide and Loki. Um, And and as as I mentioned, Ruckus represents Blackout, so they were sort of building a a feud between these two units. Um, And it's a good match. There's, you know, some really good chain wrestling. Ruckus is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, he does a crazy shooting star from the apron at one point. Um, yeah, a b boy does an insane uh, double stomp in the corner. They really beat the shit out of each other. B boy is really good. B boy just stopped wrestling mostly on the East Coast. He went back to California and he just kind of stayed there. You know, none of the big companies ever picked him up. Um, and uh, he's still wrestling, as far as I know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's got his he's got his little thing going on on the West Coast. Eventually, he wins the match with uh, a couple of shining wizards. He did a really cool. Yeah. Uh, so Ruckus would do a top rope moonsault into a leg drop, and B Boy very slickly somehow reversed that 
into the second shining, yeah. shining wizard. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so but at the end, Kingston attacks, beats him up with his uh, leg brace and, you know, challenges or B-Boy ends up challenging uh, Blackout for the next show. Right. To face him and the other strong style thugs. So that was quite cool. I would like to see that. That six man. Yeah, if we I'm sure that was good. <laughs> if they actually, if they did it, right? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you you could never be sure. Card was very subject to change. Yeah. In fact, they referenced this at at one point that they now have a zero tolerance policy for no shows. <laughs> sure. Right. That's, that's it. <laughs> Until the next time Loki decides he has something better to do, you know. Yeah. Come on. Well, I, they, I, I do I remember think, hearing. Yeah. What were you saying? I was saying, I do remember hearing after uh, after this show on the Declaration of Independence website, which existed at the time, that uh, they they had like the the they weren't sure what the card was going to be when everybody showed up because like more some people, of course, no showed more people showed up coming that they thought weren't coming. And uh, some people were like promised matches here and there that they didn't know where to fit in. And they had to like get everyone on the card. (laughs) And it really kind of shows. Oh, definitely. Much of this card feels very thrown together. Um, The real indie experience. Definitely. So. um, Fuck, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Shortly after this show, in fact, they do strip Teddy Hart of the title. For I think he no-shows the next show, and they strip him of the title. Um, so, all right, anyway, the next match here is uh, ben- Bandito Jr. and E.C. Negro of La Familia with the Outcast Killers, at least during their entrance, um, against, against Corvus Fear and Gavin Quest, who, between them, I'm sure own thousands of magic cards. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure bandito jr's in the wwe now he's a referee he is yeah yeah i always liked bandito jr i always liked ec negro yeah. too ec negro such a character. fantastic heel you know, you mentioned- in in that kind of old old school model you know you mentioned like southern wrestling characters i i, always, I used to refer to it as like new york memphis yeah. because it, it was all of these like you know a lot of like latin guys uh, coming out to uh, Latin music and hip hop covered in Puerto Rican flags. And then they were all acting like Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, and that was kind of, you know, the, the strong style thugs deal too. Right. You know, and I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I, you know, and I don't know, people don't make that connection, but I really think there's a strong connection there. They always had good matches. They also watched a lot of Poro and wanted to wrestle strong right. style, but the characters like all oh, the fireball, <laughs> right? The, you know, Lawler through the fireball, you know, that was the deal. So I don't know. It's great. EC Negro was great. He always came out, you know, kind of out of shape, like really like tooting his own he horn look the whole like way much, through. But occasionally he'd do something super athletic. I was great. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I love how they were back from suspension for spitting on the audience. And when they're called <laughs> yeah. out about it, they're like, they were children. Like that makes it better. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Wonderful. He, at the end of the match, he spits on an empty chair. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to get suspended again. <laughs> big, e, big, like cartoonish supervillain laugh. <laughs> Throws the chair down. Awesome. They do a lot of crazy moves in this match with like no pinfall attempts 
or like selling or anything. Um, and it ends with uh, Bandito does a here it is driver. And then uh, Negro hits an awesome top rope leg drop for the win. But yeah, like the double down comes from Quest doing a pile driver. It's just, I don't know. Man. Right. There was a lot of questionable psychology on the show, top to bottom. It, it, it comes with the territories. <laughs> but when you have, you know, when you have people who are still just getting better, and a lot of it was like it was in style to do a lot of crazy moves just to show the audience you could do them because it'd be cool to see them. And like that worked for a little while. But the people who were actually on top, even in scenes like this, were better at pro wrestling than that. Yeah. Except for Teddy Hart. <laughs> so next we get this medley of promos. And it was weird because they showed some of those promos in full at other points. This was a direct lift from ECW. ECW right. used to do this all the time. Just remix all of your mediocre promos into an awesome music video. The thing is, this one kind of went on for too long. They used too many examples. You know, Grim Reefer's entire shtick is just calling the guy interviewing him gay. Yeah, fuck. And man. yeah. But Delirious is in there. Yeah, Delirious you know, is great. John um, Cabana is great. Cabana's really excited yeah. about uh, the Hammer and Honky Tonk Man being there. And right, he wants right. to get Ruckus's autograph as well. Um, Johnny D interviews Alicia's right boob. Yeah, is he at least they, that's part of like uh, that? That's an angle. That's not just the um, the announcers being stupid. Yeah, Ruckus tries to cut a Hogan promo, which is pretty funny. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, we get something from the participants of the uh, of the four way match coming up. We get very young Chuck Taylor and Ricochet. Ricochet don't got that accent. Anymore. Oh, my God. I That was <laughs> shocking. How yeah, he's, thick of a southern accent Ricochet has. He, he is also from Paducah, Kentucky. Oh, you know. Oh, shit. And he's Taylor trained him when he was a teenager. He looks like a very small child. He's yeah, got that really straightened does. hair, the long yep. hair. This was, I think, the second time we saw the two of them. We had seen them in a previous uh, JPW show where they were just in like a total spot fest flippy thing. Yeah. Uh, but to, uh, on that to that point, Chuck Taylor in his interview, he's all like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm in a match with a bunch of flippy guys. You know, they're going to flip about and stuff. Well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to just start choking people. You know, yep. <laughs> maybe I'll throw a couple of fl cr of closed fists and then like hide them from the ref. <laughs> he he already had his charisma just out there. You know, it took him so long to get signed. Yeah. And he, he was going to uh, give like, someone oh, a swift man. kick to the taint. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ah, Chuck Taylor. I'm glad he's finally a successful professional wrestler. Yeah. Good. But right, so they remixed. This is I don't know how long it was. It felt like twenty seven minutes. I think it was like four. Delirious, and it was it was definitely just long, the best yeah. part of it. And then, but then they show the full Delirious promo. That's obviously the same promo after Delirious's match. All right, so Cole Cabana versus Delirious, pre Boom Boom, pre Boom Boom. Right, he had not. He had. I think later that year he got signed by WWE. Yeah, they mentioned that he had done several dark matches. Right. And this is before Delirious became the booker of Ring of Honor. At this point, right. he was on the rise in Ring of Honor. And I really thought he had a shot at like being at the top. But I had a very different view of where wrestling was headed from the people in ROH. 
it's interesting because like I thought that wrestling that ROH was going to go in a more sort of like comical, like cartoonish direction because we were starting to get into Chikara and that was like, Oh, because that's where my tastes are going. I expected that's where wrestling was going. Meanwhile, I didn't realize that Gabe Sapolsky, who was booking ring of honor had never seen Chikara. Had no idea really what was going on there until that one King of Trios where we saw him there watching it. Yeah, like we saw him. This was shortly after he had, he had he was uh, fired from Ring of Honor. We saw Gabe there. We were like, we should probably leave him alone. And I thought, oh, he was probably scouting for something. And it turns out he was just like, I guess I'll go to this show because he was like moping. And he said it like reinvigorated his love of wrestling and he got what Chikara was. <laughs> and like, good story. I, wish, yeah, Gabe's, uh, I yeah. wish he had seen that earlier because if he had he might have done something different with the ring of honor product. But I think like Carrie, uh, and, and, yeah. and, the, and like yeah, Carrie in particular, but like ring of honor didn't see itself as going in that direction. I think the ring of honor crowd would have eaten a lot of the Chikara regulars alive because as good as many of them at this point in the mid two thousands were, they weren't nearly as good as they were going to get. A lot of them were hiding behind their gimmicks and doing like competent lucha. They right. weren't doing like the stuff the top guys in Ring of Honor were doing. You and I couldn't really see that yet. Right. I don't Definitely. think. Definitely. And looking back on it now, it's like it's it's true. And it was it's like they uh, weren't gonna get Quackenbush himself as a regular. Right. They tried. Ring of Honor tried. Yeah. And Gabe had, Gabe addressed it in an interview. He was just like, We tried to get Quackenbush for more dates, but he just wasn't there. Delirious. He was busy on, running his own league. Delirious, on the other hand, who wasn't a Chikara guy, though he did yeah. To, he did spend some time there was a really interesting character. You know, he had the he had oh, this yeah. great persona. He could really wrestle. You know, he, he had awesome matches with Brian Danielson. Obviously everyone has awesome matches with Brian Danielson, but he was transitioning that uh, into like a pretty cool run, but they, they never really gave him the ball. No, his first big angle in ring of honor was uh, that he was losing and uh, on screen and later backstage, authority figure Jim Cornette told him he had to actually beat somebody or else they were going to kick him out. Uh, and eventually he beat uh, Ricky Reyes. Okay. Which, like, they tried to sell as a big deal because he had been mowing down the Ring of Honor students. But the truth is, Ricky Reyes, as good of a wrestler as he was, he had not been pushed as a top guy or even a medium guy in Ring of Honor. He was a ta had been a tag team champion, feared and respected several years previous to that, and it just wasn't translating. So, Delirious, for anyone who's never seen Delirious wrestle, you know, like, to begin with, in his promos, he would just rant mostly incoherently, throwing in pieces of words, so you would get, like, his opponent's name, or things like that. So, you know, he came <laughs> off like a guy, like someone with schizophrenia rambling on the street corner, pretty much. Um, which maybe isn't the most sensitive gimmick, but we liked it. <laughs> well, he came off like if the Ultimate Warrior wasn't actually saying anything. Mm, okay. Yeah. I thought the idea was supposed to be that he was mentally ill. I mean, I'm sure it was. Uh, but, uh, and then he yeah. would like... Delirious, right? He would run around like crazy um, and then get in the ring and and sit in the corner without moving. Until the bell rang and then he would go crazy and he would run around the ring again. But in the, so he's sitting, he's crouched in the corner 
awaiting the bell and Cabana is just playing around with him. Cabana sticks his crotch in his face, sticks his ass in his face. <laughs> yeah. Like, Cabana knew what he was doing and Delirious was good for him. I mean, they were both... They had, I remember us knowing this match was going to happen before the show because then we knew that they were two like comedic wrestlers that knew what they were doing. We wanted to see how they interacted. Yeah. And they interacted well. I enjoyed the hell out of their interactions. Oh, here. they had an amazing match while barely taking a bump. Right. <laughs> and that's that's the art of pro wrestling. Yeah, that's real good, you know. Uh, there's some great... There, there was a guy in the crowd in a Vince McMahon mask and Cabana distracts Delirious <laughs> by being like, look, it's Vince McMahon. And he, he is distracted by it. Every time Cabana oh. attempts to distract uh, Delirious, he is successful. Yeah. Even when he just he like kind of raises his eyebrow a little bit and looks up yeah. and Delirious looks up. And uh, Cabana grabs a, grabs a wrist lock. Yeah. Um, at one point, he ties his, his mask tassels to the rope while he's distracted. <laughs> Good stuff. Lots of hijinks. C- Cabana does the thing where, like, they're, they're doing shoulder blocks, and he, like, takes a shoulder block from Delirious and doesn't go down, and then starts whining as though he's in so much pain his shoulder is separated. And I always thought that kind of thing was good because nobody sells like that. Yeah. You know, nobody sells like a little kid who skinned their knee because you're not supposed to. Right. But you could if you wanted to. That's a reaction to pain. Totally. And then there's at one point, I think Delirious just screams, hey, at Cabana or Cabana screams, hey. And then the other one screams, yeah. ho. Oh, and they go right. back and forth until, of course, the crowd is going, hey, ho. <laughs> Because good yeah. stuff. Something else that might not have worked anywhere but the Northeast. Maybe not. No. Uh, Delirious does his endless corner clotheslines, which I always really liked. I, that was the other thing about Delirious is his move set was Delirious. You know, he would he do these cool things like um, he'd. It's it's kind of hard to describe, but he'd move from like a snapmare hold into a headlock into a snapmare. Like he would sort of confuse his opponents by putting on three holds before settling on one of them. Right. Well, that's kind of a take on the the uh, the indie poor psychology trope of somebody putting on a hold and then another one and then another one just to show the crowd that they know a lot of holds. Like, you can do that, but make it make sense. With Delirious, strangely enough, it made a lot more sense. Yeah, and it allowed him to get the win because you can disorient your opponent that way. Yep. So at the end, he does like an arm drag into a couple of different rolls and then finally a crucifix pin, and Delirious beats Cabana in this match. Good yep. stuff. Top to bottom. Definitely good match. stuff. A lot more professional seeming than some of the things on the show. I'd channels, say, even though it was comical. yeah, really the only like genuinely good match on this show. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed most of the show, but this yeah, that's yeah, different. Exactly. Um, okay, now we get the match that I actually remembered the most distinctly of anything from this show. Um, Chris Hero taking on the one and only Hydra. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they reference Hydra as Hero's young boy. Yes. He's coming to the ring. Hydra comes out to Brock Lesnar's theme music. He's billed at 6'9", 340 pounds. 
He's about five five, maybe a hundred and twenty. Uh, like, real, I think less than hundred twenty. Maybe less than that. He was a skinny dude, <laughs> really skinny dude. I don't remember too much of the details of his whole storyline in Chikara, but it was one of my favorite things that they ever did. Uh, they would just put they would put him over, you know. Yeah, yeah. He he would do the full Nelson, and they'd be like, "No one can break it because he's so strong." Right. Um, they would act they like had he everyone was really strong. For right, right. Everyone would sell yeah. for him. That is not what was happening here. No, no. Although they did. Hero and Hydra did have a, a fairly lengthy match by these standards. And by that, I mean it was like seven, eight minutes. It was Hydra getting a full match under his belt that wasn't like just Chikara gimmickry for three minutes. Right. Uh, in with what would have been one of his trainers at the time, like kind of leading him through it. And uh, yeah, it was fine. You know, some of his moves were a little off, but all of the shtick worked. Definitely. And a big reason why all of the shtick worked is that Chris Hero knew what he was doing, where to place everything. That being said, it didn't work for that much of the crap. Well, I was going to say the main reason why it worked was because we were there <laughs> and, and right. Hydra was way <laughs> over with us. Oh, so yes. Chris Hero comes and we out were standing there going nuts half the yeah. time. For so Hero comes out to dead and bloated by Stone Temple Pilots. Had, awesome. to, had to shout that out. And he gets in the ring with Hydra. And you can see this at around one hour, 38 minutes on the video on IWTV. You can see our heads in the foreground and we're chanting Hydra, Hydra. And Hero looks at us and he's like, Really? <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me this guy uh, and we're like yeah. yeah that guy as you mentioned we had just been getting into chikara like the previous year or so and we didn't and, like uh, hero because yeah. he was an enemy of no. ring of honor and i don't know he was he right. had stupid looking pants i don't know he, he i hadn't quite gotten here though i think he was an effective heel is really what it was yeah, yeah totally and specially tailored to the indie audience like us right I'm sure the CZW crowd felt the same way about Brian Danielson and his stupid wrestling. Oh, totally. As if, if you can ever hunt down anybody, um, a video of ROH Arena Warfare. Um, actually, Danielson had a really good match with Hero himself at the beginning of the CZW war. Uh, that actually, by the, at that point, when I saw that match, I was like, oh, Hero's kind of a good wrestler, but I don't like him. With this match, I started to actually kind of like him. But if <laughs> yeah. you can find Arena Warfare, I may have mentioned this before. It's the it has the moment when Brian Danielson became my favorite wrestler. Uh, he, he's wrestling Alex Shelley, and they had the bleachers. They had two sets of bleachers, and one was for the Ring of Honor fans, and one was for the CZW fans because they did a double header of CZW and ROH. Brilliant, by the oh, way. Absolutely brilliant move by Gabe Sapolsky. This is where his his booking genius really comes in. That whole CZW ROH feud, CZW taking over the message boards and all that shit was great. Yeah, it was all very sharp. It was very, very modern. So all the CZW fans are chanting boring at Danielson, who's doing wrestling, a very technical match with Alex Shelley. And so he turns to the crowd. He's like, oh, you want boring? It's abdominal stretch time and puts on the abdominal <laughs> stretch. Oh. Yep. Fucking love it. Oh, the abdominal. It's got it. the abdominal on him. <laughs> Danielson knew exactly how to do that because he knew when the crowd wanted him to do something bigger and then he'd put the abdominal stretch on and they'd boo. And then he'd take his free hand and give the crowd the finger and then they would boo. 
And then he'd just stay in the hold, grinning like an idiot, because fuck you, he's Brian Danielson, he's wrestling his match. Are you going to tell him how to wrestle better? I don't think you are. Right, as, you as you've pointed out, as you pointed out last premium episode, Doc, you know, where Danielson wasn't fully formed yet, eventually he figured out how to play the character of the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, that's very different than just knowing the most moves and executing them the most properly. And playing the character of someone who knows he's the best wrestler in the world, too. Yeah. Um, so going back to the Hydra hero match, there's some great spots. Uh, Hydra staying in the bridge after Hero lets him go and like he can't quite yeah. get out of it. Um, <laughs> hero does these repeated kip ups and then Hydra tries to kip up and he can't do it. Right. Hydra's a lot of Hydra's shit is surrounding uh, how he's not good. And, <laughs> he's the you know, opposite. In... He knew how to play the character of the worst wrestler <laughs> in the world. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know how much he was playing. I think he was the thing about I'm not trying to insult Hydra. I was a huge fan of Hydra. I thought his act was great. But the truth is, he was a guy who had just been trained and he was getting his first experience right. you know, uh, outside of just his home promotion. On all his matches in Chikara, when he did stuff like that, it was always dressed up properly. Here, that was like it becomes kind of laid bare that like, oh, you're trying to get over with this crowd by showing them that you can't do anything. Yeah. And uh, he was not. No. The crowd was not. The crowd was getting into hero. Bottom rope, Vader bomb, notwithstanding. Not yes. He went to the second <laughs> rope, was like, oh, no, and then went to the bottom rope and did it. And he did the um, earthquake. He did, he did, the, did the big Papa pump elbow. <laughs> good shit. Uh, eventually. Really good. Shit. Eventually, hero hits him with an electric chair face buster, and that's it. Yeah, stacks him up and just pins him. And he gave Hydra a bunch of offense, you know. The the announcers were just crapping all over Hydra the whole time also. Like, not even trying to put him over. Not trying to sell him as, like, the plucky underdog or anything. Just like, this guy's terrible. Chris Hero's finally in JPW, and he's wrestling this guy. Great. Like, ugh. Come on, guys. So then we get the full fucking Grim Reefer interview and the Chuck Taylor interview and the Ricochet interview. I didn't mention Ricochet is wearing a Snoochie Boochies t-shirt. Jane Sound Bob. <laughs> sure he is. Um, fuck, man. Yeah. Oh, the Grim Reefer promo is so fucking bad. Yeah, I've been doing four-way dances since I was born. Banging three girls at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Right. The only thing he can feel is lust and hatred, which was the style at the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just awful. Like, yeah, it was it was even bad at the time. That was like because he had no there's a reason a guy like Grim Reefer has been around forever and never really made it. You know, I mean, yeah, he is, you know, well respected in the Indies these days. He's a trainer. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't mean to like I don't mean to really talk shit on Grim Reefer, no. but like what he didn't bring anything unique or new to the table like this. Yeah. He was uh, his his gimmick was that he smoked weed. Great. You know, like Daisy, Daisy Hayes did that and she could wrestle a lot better. Yeah. And yeah. no, Reefer's pretty good. Actually, he was at that homicide um, tribute show yeah. not too long ago. And I thought he looked good there. Yeah, no, it's really mostly this promo that was really awful. And I imagine most of his promos were were fairly similar. Um, I mean, it was a certain ideal of a tough guy right. that people had. 
And he was just playing. Wait, it. What does he say? He's like, Jack Evans, you're like Malibu's most wanted, but I'm like Scarface. Right. I'm a Scarface yeah. guy. Uh, I've known way too many Scarface guys. Yeah. You know, like Scarface is the bad guy. He's the guy bad guy, people. people. Yeah. He's he's the bad guy. <laughs> right. The bad guy. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, and he loses. Oh yeah, that's like, he's not a yeah. It's the tragedy of Tony Montana is the movie really. Well, it's an interesting movie. Yeah. It's you know, I I can see why people idolized him, but it takes you take you take the wrong lesson sometimes. I'm not gonna go on and on about Scarface. <laughs> um, I, I I enjoyed the I don't know why they did the the promo remix thing. Then yeah, then they showed everybody's full length promos that weren't as good as the remix of yeah. It. So we've got Grim Reaper versus Chuck Taylor versus Ricochet versus Jack Evans. Sporting his yep. Dragon Gate jacket because he had been touring with Dragon right. Gate. Um, yeah, uh, man, Taylor and Ricochet are both so fucking skinny at this point. Oh yeah, oh yeah, especially Ricochet. Ricochet made. Uh, I didn't notice at first how skinny Chuck Taylor was because he was standing next to Ricochet. Right, uh, but they they both uh, neither of them are that skinny anymore. <laughs> they do all sorts of lucha so. shit, lots of lucha yep. shit. Um, it was a fine little four way, like scramble match, uh, indicative of the Indies at the time. And these guys came from all around, you know, showcase in front of JP. And like, once again, J we, we didn't mention like, there's like 800 people. Yeah. Here. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, this was a big show. They drew very you know? well. Yeah. For, for the Indies. Yeah, we're, we're not just saying, oh, this was kind of a weird vanguard. No, they did business in Jersey, all pro wrestling big time. in Rahway, you know? Uh, Grim Reefer had some cool uh, innovative moves here, actually. He does like a suplex. He suplexes the guy onto the apron, but holds onto his head and then neck breakers him on the top rope. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. He also does a baseball slide where he slides a little bit too far and wipes out completely on the floor. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, ricochet, the fucking insane um, athlete that he is. Just does a drop kick where he does a full backflip and lands on his feet just because he can do that. Yeah, Ricochet's uh, Ricochet's natural athleticism was always quite a sight to behold. He did his uh, he did his double moonsault and missed. He missed. Oh, he looked like he almost killed himself, too. He really did. I mean, that's a tough move to pull off. Yeah. Doing a single moonsault is a tough move to pull off. And he flips twice. There's possibly the most idiotic Tower of Doom spot I've ever seen. In this match, it involves like Reefer doing a poison Rana, like an inverse Hurricane Rana from the top yeah, rope, yeah. and it's just it's a mess. Um, they clearly came up with a bunch of spots they wanted to do, and then oh, they there are them. so many head drops that just don't end the match. Chuck right. Taylor's Omega Driver. Like, oh yeah, I saw him pull that out. I'm like, oh, is that Taylor's over right now? Nope. No, it's just, well, he's here. You want to see him do it, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we popped. <laughs> oh, it looks like it kills you. It's, he, uh, for those who don't know, the... it's you start off in the position like you're going to do a back suplex. But instead of dropping backward, you flip the guy upside down and pile drive him. Yeah, it's like a more dangerous version of the Steiner screwdriver. Yeah. Yay. Um, so, yeah, after Ricochet misses the double moonsault, Evans hits him with the 630 that the announcers idiotically call the 620. 
repeatedly because they don't know how circles work and degrees and all that. Um, they don't know much, <laughs> but yeah, Evans wins this match. Um, little did we know at this point that though, I think we could have maybe guessed from the, the earlier, um, brawl that Evans and hero would be making another appearance later in the show. Right. Right. But before that, we get the tag title match, uh, Asriel and Jay lethal defending their tag titles against, uh, the outcast killers, uh, Oman Tortuga and Diablo Santiago, who, as you mentioned earlier, doc, it was supposed to be the SAT. Yeah, whatever happened to the Outcast Killers? They were always there when they were needed. Yeah, and they were good. Yeah, they were. But here is the only, excuse me, is I think the only time I ever saw them work face. Because weirdly, they were the faces in this match. Yeah, it, it was this job they needed to do. Uh, Jay Lee was like, you guys don't look like a Spanish announced team to me. <laughs> Uh, you, you remember the time at a USA Pro show where they had auctioned off the rights to be the ring announcer, and which means an untrained, unprofessional ring announcer oh was there. And uh, he had messed up a bunch of stuff. And then at one point, halfway through the show, the outcast killers come out and uh, he just like, hey, come into the ring, the outlaw killers right. and the outcast killers look at him like, really, you don't know who we are because the crowd knew who they were. They had been local regulars for years. And then finally, they told him to leave. And Stephen DeAngelis just happened to be at the show chilling. <laughs> and he took he took over for the rest oh, of it. Man. He was probably happy to have the night off, right. you know, and no, no, no more night off for you, Stephen DeAngelis. You know who everyone is. Come on. He in. was probably also happy to end the the insults <laughs> to his profession that that it. Yes. Happening. Yes. So uh, lethal, as we pointed out, actually, on, on the last episode, but uh, it's more relevant here. You know, lethal was grew up in nearby Edison, New Jersey, I think. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yes. Yeah, right. Right. We went through this whole thing last time. Yeah, yes. yeah. Lethal and Elizabeth. Lethal's from JPW Elizabeth. and Rahway. And um, his whole family would be at these shows at the merchandise booth and around his sister, his parents. It was very much, you know, he, he was very much a child of Jersey All Pro Wrestling. He was trained at the JPW, the short-lived JPW school by Homicide and Monster Mac mm. and uh, Loki, you know, and um, he, he won their like online tough enough contest, which they, I saw that once because they showed it as a throwback on their web yeah. show from years previous on their web show that they had had as soon as it was physically possible to have a web show. Hey, and it's like it's him and a bunch of other guys doing squats and taking bumps. And then finally, there's Monster Mac with him. And he looks like he's 17. It's like, this is Jamal. I say, hi, Jamal. It's like, hi. It's like, you're going to trade to be a pro wrestler at the JP school, huh? And he's like, yeah. It's like, what are you going to do? when homicide wants to give you the cop killer <laughs> he goes uh huh uh, and then back pulls away it's like good luck jamal you're gonna you're gonna do great oh man <laughs> wasn't it he lethal really who took that fucking cop killer double stomp at manhattan mayhem yes it yeah. was <laughs> occasionally that gift still goes around twitter and like that is still the most violent move most people have yeah, ever seen I, I can't think of one that really tops it I can think of stupider bumps. Sure, sure, but not you like know, Joey yeah. Janela falling off the roof and stuff. Right, but, but not an actual wrestling move. It, right, not a real wrestling move like that. 
So um, Asriel claims it's non-title, I guess, to get heel heat. Uh, he tries to play it off like it's going to be a non-title match. But no, uh, whatever officials uh, insist that it is a title match. Ref Hansen. Ref Hansen, yeah, sure. Whatever. Ref Hansen. Uh, who, the refs here were Hansen, Paul Turner, and someone else I didn't recognize. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, oh no, Fat Frank comes out and says that the SAT are fired due to their zero tolerance policy about no shows. Because of, I'm sure the SAT were under a lucrative contract <laughs> with Jersey right. All Pro Wrestling. I'm sure cumulatively they've made hundreds of dollars together all the times they wrestled for Jersey All Pro. Well, yeah, so this is the only time I've ever seen the Outcast Killers' as faces. Oman Tortuga does a cool little, like, rolling Romero special spot into, like, a, yeah. a submission hold, another submission hold that I liked. Uh, they they mentioned that Homicide trained Asriel as well, so I guess he also came out of that. Well, there was also the Doghouse, you know, in Brooklyn right. earlier right, right, right. than that, where they all trained together. Asriel, I met um, when I did that... Uh, uh, BCW show where I was the the uh, minister for my friend's wedding. Oh, cool! And I went yeah. backstage and I met everybody. Asriel's a nice guy. He he was kind of That's a loner. Cool. He was sitting by himself, real quiet. Uh, but when I came over to shake his hand, he was super friendly. Well, he's been around a long time now. He's probably distanced himself from a lot of the modern crap. Mm. You know, it's just a booking man. I'm just gonna go out there do my thing. And his match was good that yeah. night too. I'm not surprised. He's been at it a long time. If you can find it, I don't know if it's anywhere on the internet. That match he had, that squash match for Brian Danielson that they had on like on the ROH website way hmm. back when, it was pretty good. Danielson beats the living crap out of him. Well, that sounds about right. All right. Um, so, yeah, the crowd didn't really get behind the outcast killers. I mean, they had been out earlier as heels with La Familia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, they do a Romero special double stomp combo. Uh, Lethal and Asriel do, and they win the titles. Or they uh, defend, successfully defend the titles. All right. Um, Necro Butcher gets interviewed before his main event title match against Teddy Hart, where he talks about the Jersey All Pro title being 15 pounds of gold. Yeah, it's got to be some amount of pounds, I guess. <laughs> and some kind of metal. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever it is. But it had to be no. bigger than the NWA world title, right? <laughs> right, right. It had to be bigger than the 10 pounds of gold. Or, uh, I don't know, Ric Flair used to call Big Goldie the 20 pounds of gold. Oh, he called it the 20 pounds of gold? Once he got to uh, to the Big Gold Belt, yeah. The Big Gold Belt. Occasionally, oh, gotcha, gotcha. yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, I, 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 I had been reminded recently because I watched the um, Lords of Chaos uh, dramatization film that they put out recently, which was pretty good, uh, that the original Necro Butcher is, was the bassist of Mayhem. Hmm. All right. There you go. Yeah. Different guy. I was trying to remember. Presumably. Like, I was trying to list all the wrestlers whose names were also the names of musicians. We've got Sting, Sid Vicious, Sting, Necro yeah, Butcher. Yeah, Vicious. There was another one that I couldn't remember. That hmm. Hmm. We'll put this out to our loyal 
listeners, if you can think of any other um, yeah. wrestlers who have the names of musicians, we will shout you out. Not counting, uh, not counting Gabe Sapolsky's uh, commentary. <laughs> As Jimmy names. Bauer and, and Matt Pike, yeah. And Matt Pike, yeah. I don't think, did we mention he was Jimmy Bauer for uh, All Star Extravaganza too? I think so. If we didn't, we did now. Yeah. All right. Anyway, main event time. It starts out as Necro Butcher versus Teddy Hart. Um, as we mentioned, Teddy doesn't have the belt until they hand it to him during the ring announcements. Uh, he, he, of course, does a moonsault before the match starts. And then it's, he, he's a compulsive moonsault. Yeah, and then Necro attacks him and beats the living shit out of him for a while. And just rips and tears at Did him. Did he have like a box cutter or something? He had some implement. I didn't catch what it was. <laughs> the way Teddy was selling it seemed very realistic. Like, oh, like stop. Yeah. What the? No, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can, you, can you perhaps moonsault at me? <laughs> There's a spot where they're both fish hooking each other. This is yeah. some fucking dirty, nasty wrestling here. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, he was wrestling Necro Butcher's match. You right. Know? And I wouldn't be surprised if Necro Butcher would, did not care for Teddy Hart. Very few people cared for <laughs> Teddy Hart. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, eventually uh, Chris Hero comes out. Um, he does a cravat plex on Teddy Hart. And uh, Hanson calls it a no contest. Yeah. And then the, the announcers are outraged. Yeah. That there would be a, a DQ, DQ in Jersey yeah. All Pro Wrestling. Right. So uh, then Fat Frank comes out and he says, fuck that. Hero is in the match. It's now no DQ and falls count anywhere. Great. Yeah. And, and the fucking announcers. Oh, hey, man, he wasn't. Yo, here, here's something that really encapsulates the attitude of the announcers. OK, the one announcer says these are two very large men. And I mean that in the straightest of ways. Like anyone would have interpreted right. him. Uh, <laughs> I know. I thought you meant their dicks. Yeah, I thought you meant their dicks, man. Yeah. You're gay. You're gay. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Gay. Oh, you ain't going to give me the gay with your talk about the dicks. <laughs> <laughs> so you get away from me there. Yeah. Because you're going to do the gay to me. I've heard that put so many ways. It just, it's eye-rollingly stupid. Just and, and it wasn't like, you know, a lot of the things like I put in context in terms of culture, that wasn't good then. Right, right. Definitely. You know, that was just being stupid at the time. Ugh. Anyway. What it, well, yeah, and, and like, you know where it comes from, like, you know, the people trying to do the stupidest parts of Howard Stern. Mm. Not noting that, like, Howard Stern did a four-hour show every morning or a five-hour show every morning, and they'd hear just the most extreme highlights and then make that their entire act. And that's that's not how that works. That's not how Stern actually got big. That's not, you know. Right. And, com yeah, just I could talk about that culture for way too long. Yeah, so anyway, uh, Jack Evans enters, flips on everybody, and now he's in and the now match. He's now he's in the match too. Great. And they do the whole thing where him and Necro are sitting on chairs facing each other, just punching each other in the face. And yeah. it's great because Necro wins that fight very easily. Yeah, Necro <laughs> and Jack Evans, yeah. 
But yeah, Evans is the kind of guy who he's a little dude, but he always projected like he was eight feet tall and bulletproof. Yeah. Still does. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jack. Oh, Evans. definitely. Always have been. Um, yeah, so then Teddy starts dishing out chair shots. Um, Evans does a moonsault double stomp on Necro while he's slumped over the back of the chair. That was Oof. pretty crazy looking. Yeah. Um, Necro kicks out of the 630. I think that's the only time I've right. ever seen that. I think because Hero was late to break up the pin. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But he had to get the 630 in. It's not like the crowd has seen it already. Twice <laughs> or whatever. Like, uh... Then somehow Necro has a broken vinyl record that he cuts <laughs> Teddy Hart up with. I don't know where that came from. Oh, Teddy got really banged oh, up in this match. Yeah, bleeding profusely. Just oh. And then probably the most brutal move of the whole thing. Um Necro does a top wa- top rope sidewalk slam to Jack Evans. So he takes the two chairs and puts them back to back. So just the backs are sticking up. And he does the top rope uh, sidewalk slam onto the top of the chair backs. Yeah, that looked ridiculous. It looked like it killed Jack Evans completely. Uh, and it was not the finish. That's right. Thankfully, Evans' spine was very flexible. So he yes. take that sort of thing. Yeah, no, Hero broke up that pin. Um, then Necro takes like a really dangerous looking spill off the apron where he falls on his knee. Yep. Did not look very yeah. graceful at all. And Teddy hits what the announcers call the triple bypass, which is one of yeah, those which... corkscrewy sent on top. They decide to do a camera cut in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Teddy Hart post editing. Yes, Teddy Hart wins with the triple bypass. I had so much fun going to these shows. We missed the main event because we had to leave because it was too Did late. We, and that's we okay. This match? Well, this if this is the show where we left, I don't know. Then this is the match we would have missed. No, I, I don't I don't think we no. I don't know if we missed a match. I think we might have missed like a segment at some point. Mm. Like I think it might have been the show where Teddy won the title and we left right afterwards and there was some kind of confrontation with Loki. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um well, in any case, we had a great time going to shows like this. Uh, the fans were the, the, the fans were always up. They always had like interesting people signing autographs. The merch tables were just endless with T-shirts and DVDs and tapes and bootleg stuff. And that guy who used to sell like the six dollar bootleg like shoot interviews yeah. that were just like they were clearly just VHS copies of the RF video shoot <laughs> interviews, which was always weird because across the, sh- the, the, the rec center, there would be the RF video <laughs> right. tables. Selling the same stuff for four times the price. And, then there, and I don't there know. was the guy who was always selling the Japanese stuff. And he also organized yeah. those trips to Japan, which I had unfortunately never, never went on. But uh, I had my own wrestling field trip to Japan years later. But there, there were always uh, wrestlers coming out selling their personal merchandise, local vendors selling like WWE and mainstream stuff, merchandise, old tapes, WWE and WCW shows, ECW stuff. Um, a, a real bazaar yeah. of uh, of rest. This is where you used to have to go to indie shows to buy wrestling merchandise. It felt like a bit of a convention almost. You know, um, they do. It was a community yeah, gathering. They do WrestleCon now on WrestleMania weekend and everything. And, and that's sort of like an expanded version of what this was. For sure. Right. Something like that. And, uh, you know, it was. 
there was a real sense of something that was growing and it was indie wrestling culture and it's indie wrestling culture has gotten really big and it's churning and it's improving. Yeah. Thank goodness, because it was really bad through all the stuff that I enjoyed about right. it. Um, but it, it had to go through its primordial phase because it grew out of indie wrestling from the 90s, which is like the carnies that weren't good enough to make it on TV. So that's no good. And it had to grow out of that because that was wrestling. And um, Jersey All Pro Wrestling is still around occasionally, and it was a big deal around the local scene, if you knew what you were doing. Yeah, and, you know, I would still love to go to the Rahway Rec Center sometime in the future if, you know, shows ever happen there again. If shows ever happen again, yeah. I'll take the train. Driving there and back wasn't a great experience, but... (laughs) Yeah. Just having to drive so late at night, because the shows always went really late. As, As you pointed out, the 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 video on IWTV is two hours and forty four minutes. The show live was much longer than that. Well, all all of that um, all of that merchandise I was telling you about, they would have intermissions for like forty five yeah. minutes or an hour while people got concessions and bought stuff and and talked to it because that was where everybody made their money. Right. Um. Everybody who was going to make money was going to make their money there, and like it was always like it'll they were like it's going to start at eight, and then it didn't start till nine. And, you know, because they were waiting for the SAT or something to arrive and they never do. And then they like we cut out weights between matches and, yeah, it would go on into the night. Well, premium as opposed to the Ring of Honor shows that just had way too much stuff on them. Right. Right. Like, yeah, these were this was 10 matches, but none of them were particularly long. No, no, no. All right. Some of them were still too long. Well, premium listeners, we hope you enjoyed us reminiscing and and one and revisiting this Jersey All Pro Wrestling show. We got a lot more cool stuff for you coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, we're we're gonna do another episode on Royal Rumbles with um, Ref Katie Vela, who you, I imagine, all know and love at this point. She didn't want to watch this, <laughs> and uh, that's probably good. And then, yeah, and we're going to have Scotland Green back on uh, for a progress show from the WWE Network, which was suggested by our listener and uh, early guest of the show, Justin Cariacholo. So, um, hey, Justin. Yeah. So a lot of cool stuff coming up. And, you know, Evan will be back sometime soon, I think. Yeah, it's time to uh, it's time to bang on his door. It's January. Let's do this. All right. It, we can ease him back in. We can watch another movie. We need to watch. We need to watch the wrestler. Yeah, we'll get to the. We got to We got to yeah. We got to coordinate with Jeff on that. Yeah, I have some okay. ideas about what to start with, with Evan. All but right. I'm, I'm we'll sure we all have. We all have ideas on right. what to start with Evan. <laughs> Evan will be back soon. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right, and uh, until next time, you have been listening. To Contesting Wrestling Premium, we love you. Peace, guys.